Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I'm excited because this has nothing to do with the podcast or Marvel, but this is the last free weekend I have before <laughs> the busy season kicks off, and I'm really yeah. pumped because it almost didn't happen. Oh, why not? Uh, just some of the extra work we were doing with like sprinklers and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. If it would have okay. gone wrong, I could have been working tomorrow, but thank God I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, that's got me really excited. Okay, so I'm going to pull out an old phrase as of this recording. It's the Friday before Easter and mm-hmm. my school has Monday off. We had today off. And I actually, for Easter, had yesterday off. So Easter break for me has always been kind of like this signpost that the school year is over. Yeah. And and I get I still have the rest of April and May and like, but like, well, man, when Easter hits middle of April and we when we have that kind of break, it, like it really feels like, okay, it's time. It's like the breath before the plunge. Well, I, well, you know how, you know how in football you talk about like those like six minute offense, four minute offense, and you're trying to run out the clock, but you still got to like, you're not ready to kneel down yet. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it's like. <laughs> that's what it's like. It's like, okay, I got to get to the end, but I'm definitely throttling down. Uh-huh. At this point. It's not quite cruise control, but you're, no. you're almost there. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So that's, that's the thing about this weekend with the Easter break. Uh, I just, it gets that feeling and it's nice. Yeah. Also, again, I'm so glad you, you're you here and that you brought up a football reference because I will totally have another football reference later on when we get into the episode. So I'm glad that tone has been set. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you've seen the episode title, you know that we are going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 3 of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, titled Power Broker. So if you've been keeping up with the way that we've been doing this, we will have some pre-spoiler thoughts followed by an audio cue, and then we will break down the most important topics after the audio cue. So before we begin, Jude, do you have any pre-spoiler thoughts? Cool. So the first thing that really comes to mind is the Discord was pretty active this time after this episode. Very early. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. it's, and, and that just goes, you know, to show the the episode, right? I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. God, we're at the halfway point, six episodes. This is episode three. I really like how it it felt like it gave you something, right? Like like clearly they're building towards something and it gave you something, but they didn't, they still, you can tell big stuff's coming for the next episode, right? And so they, I thought they did that good balance of like, man, we're going to give you something here, you know, that, that was very satisfying, but you know, there's still, I think there's still a lot left to see. Um, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. What about you? I'm so glad you brought up the discord point because not only was it active this morning because of the reactions to the episode, but during the week we had some pretty good conversations around not only Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but the changing landscape of streaming versus traditional TV and movies, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which will play into my pre-spoiler thoughts. But to to start with the positive, I think this episode continues to have a lot of fun with those off-the-wall team-ups. We've seen how they had to work with the new Captain America and Battlestar in the previous episode. Uh, We see more of those shenanigans uh, not necessarily them, but more cool pair-ups in this one. And I, I just like the dynamics that they're pulling out of these de- decisions. Yeah. And thanks to WandaVision, we have a definition for shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's mischief, but it's all going to end well. Let's hope so. 
because that plays into my second (laughs) three spoilers. (laughs) So you you know if I say I'm conflicted, that's probably as critical as I'll ever be for a Marvel show uh, just because of my fanboy nature. But I'm conflicted. Yeah, you're coming around on John Walker. I feel it. Yes, totally. I already bought. I I was going to say his jersey. I've got football on the mind. (laughs) I'm slightly worried that it's feeling like the show is tackling more than it can chew. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, just because at this halfway mark, it just feels like they're going to need to have a really strong finish to land this. Yeah. But as of right now, uh, and this leads back to what we were talking about in the Discord and the way that this is feeling the change of the way we consume media and how this feels like a movie that's been chopped up. Right. I can't help but shake that feeling. I can't shake that feeling of, and then this happened. And then this happened. It just Mm -hmm. feels like a lot of dipping in and out of places. I'm reserving my critical judgment until the full series comes out, but I am slightly worried. You know what? And it's interesting because like episodes, TV episodes, like they're able to accomplish that or, you you know, you watch a show and you don't get that feeling of this happens, this happens, where they manage an episodic in a serial for the longest time, the TV movies, right? The little mini series. Mm -hmm. Um, And you would think that like that format... You know, and and being used to seeing that as a viewer, now it comes over to streaming. And when I watch stuff on Netflix, I never got that feeling. And I guess that was because the binge nature of it, of being able Mm -hmm. just to go through them. But again, I go back to the regular TV shows or the TV movie or the miniseries where, like, that's done. Where it's a longer movie chopped up and we're kind of fine with it week to week. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why this feels different. When you say that, do you say that you don't know why because you also feel it or you don't know why because I'm feeling it? Like, I, are you? do you feel that same way about the, and then this happened? Uh, well, well, two things. A, I don't know why in the sense of we have examples and know that it can be done without mm-hmm. creating that feeling, right? But also, I, I don't think I feel that as strongly as you do, but I definitely mm-hmm. see that elements of mm-hmm. it. you know yeah it makes me want to examine why i am feeling this because you are right there are other examples of this being done um it might not be something i'll have a fuller picture of until we've seen everything that falcon and the winter soldier has to offer yeah well i definitely had that feeling more so like just comparatively more so with at the end of episode two than i did with the end of episode three well i think that leads us perfectly into the spoiler zone so like we said uh you're gonna hear an audio cue and on the other side it's gonna be full spoilers so we'll see you on the other side All right, we're here. (laughs) Listen, we ran out of podcasting budget. We're going to have to make the sound ourselves. So Jude, I'll give you a clear take. Go ahead. (laughs) I almost want to use that one for the next time that we have Leech on. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) Getting back to business. Uh, Like we said, we break these down into the most important topics in lieu of going scene by scene. So the first important topic we're going to tackle is breakout. So this is going to deal with everything from the moment that Bucky gets to speak with Zemo to the moment that they break him out and they have decided to work together. So Jude, you got any thoughts on this opening scene with them? 
Uh, a couple of things. I loved, actually, uh, I'm just going to start here. I loved Zemo in this episode. Mm-hmm. I really liked how they showed the breakout. I think that was a really effective way. Um, well, let me let me backtrack on the effective and say efficient uh, and go there. That was something the Daredevil series in season one did very well at times and at times it not so well. Mm-hmm. But here it was a very efficient way to get Zemo out, right, and show it and get Sam to buy in. You know, like, like you didn't eat up, like you didn't eat up a lot of screen time. Not at all. Where like you could have had Bucky come and talk to Sam to get Sam to help show you do that and all this stuff. So it was just a really efficient way to do it. And it really worked for me. I really liked it. Um, so, so two things. Well, actually one last thing. Go for it. And clearly on the MCU rewind, I didn't get the point because <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be, have something to do with, um, like the dusting. So, uh, huh. So I, I lost out on that one. I said it was going to be uh, Zemo sweet talking his way and convincing people. Yeah. Maybe. No, that, I can't even. <laughs> that half point? Probably not. No. And yeah. as always, the way we do this and teeing it up, you'll have to tune in for the reappearance on their show to see the way they rate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I do want to circle back to what you were talking about, the efficiency of the prison break scene. It reminded me of two things. One, I couldn't help but compare it to the way in Iron Man 2, how Vanko is broken out. And we talked about we talked about it feeling like it was just something that happened to him rather than being something of his own orchestration. Right. I feel I feel weird because I thoroughly enjoyed it more here with Zemo and it felt like it was more of his own doing here. But I don't know why I was drawing those comparisons. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Like I'm I'm because clearly I think the level of agency is there. It just I guess it felt more pertinent to the story here with Zemo breaking out than it did there. Yeah. And then, well, I think I think huh. I think what made it better was um, the Bucky narration. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what made it work so well. Well, the whole way that it's framed, because this was the other thing I was going to get to, this scene is almost the embodiment of it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Like, mm-hmm. we know there's no way Sam would have went with it. So the fact that Bucky just had it already in motion and we get to discover that as he's explaining to him, I thought that was a great, uh, like you put it, a very efficient way to handle it. Yeah. One last thing. I wish I would have remembered to add this last week, but I almost said, wouldn't it be so funny if immediately upon seeing Bucky, Zemo was just shouting the command words. <laughs> and you know clearly, what? I, yep. I say, I like that the little line I had down is something is still in there. Like, like yeah. he just, it's like he sees it. It's like he knows. Mm-hmm. You know, and he answers the question: Did Shiri actually fix him? And I guess he answers yes. But it's almost like I guess that's what's so great about Zemo as a character is because is he like all knowing, or is that just the manipulation that he plays by putting that doubt in Bucky's head? Oh, I think I think you're spot on there. I think mm-hmm. it's complete manipulation. Oh yeah. I mean, because remember from Civil War, he's highly trained, mm-hmm. so he knows how to do those things. One hundred percent. Yeah. And like even past whatever military esque special training he had, like he dedicated his life to discovering all the secrets for Bucky and how to control him. So like this is like his bread and butter. Mm -hmm. One of the things I noticed and I found interesting when Bucky convinced Sam that he's going to go in alone. Right. Uh huh. And the shot was so I guess looking straight on at them, Bucky's on the right. Sam is on the left, like of the screen. Look, mm-hmm. us looking at the screen, the camera was kind of high and to the right of the hallway, Uh huh. you know, kind of looking down and from that angle. 
almost felt security camera ish, but it wasn't. It's it's kind of hard to describe. I don't know why that stood out to me. Well, I know why, but I don't know. I don't know why that what it made that trigger in my mind. They did a completely different angle of that shot in the trailer. Hmm. Like in that initial trailer, they had that shot, but it was your standard two shot in the hallway and. There's a very much a different feel, and I'm and I'm just I don't know why that stood out to me, but it stood out, and for some reason, you know, they gave us this in the trailer, but in the show, they wanted to have some kind of distance, you know, as Bucky moved on on his own, right? Uh, but but yeah, like it, for some reason, that just jumped out at me. It, it's always interesting to see what makes the cut versus the trailer in the actual final show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in the trailer, do you see uh, Sam in the background? Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't, I feel like just this is just emotional memory. I, I didn't check this. I don't feel like he is. And I wonder if that was one of the things where they just used a different take so that it throws off speculation. Wait, which? Uh, the one where you're no, talking Sam about. Was there. Sam was there. In this the is show. When they were, yeah. But in the trailer, and, and, did no, you see Sam? In the trailer. In the trailer, Sam was there. Okay. Well, then never so mind. This there is, goes my yeah, theory. This, <laughs> this is, well, this is the scene where the two of them are talking and he says, he's like, okay, now I have to go in there alone. Yeah. And you don't get any of that conversation in the trailer. You just get the movement and the look on Bucky's face as he walks down the hallway. Uh-huh. And so, like, that's all you get in the trailer. So there's no context. I just noticed it just because of, I don't know, the movement, the way Bucky moved and the movement. I'll have to show you what scene I'm showing, talking about in the trailer, and, and you'll, like, see it right away. Okay, yeah. I'll even I'll even put something in the Discord and cool. just kind of with the timestamp and stuff so you can go see what I'm talking about. Yeah, and with timestamps, we should be able to link it in the show notes too so you can go right to it as well. Yeah. So something I wanted to zone in on as we're here in this section with Sam and Bucky breaking Zemo out is we'll definitely cover it a lot more later, but this came to me in my notes as I was writing for this section that this episode is full of people using the ends to justify the means as a method mm-hmm. of progress. I really like that we're seeing Bucky compromising, you know, what is quote unquote right to break out Zemo. Also in that prison fight, it, to me, that stood out as like, it felt weird because even Sam mentions like you're being way too casual about this. He starts a prison fight by saying like, hey, that guy's going to kill you, kill him. Uh-huh. And that yeah. was just, I don't know. I there I think there's a whole conversation to be had around Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the way that it's been handling violence because mm-hmm. it feels jarring and I can't put my finger on why because it's not a stranger to the MCU, but there's something about it here that feels different. And, and I, to wonder, the po- I wonder if it's just because we haven't seen this in a while. Uh-huh. Because uh, I'm trying to think, okay, hmm. Endgame, a lot of it was against, you know, nameless faceless army yeah you know generic cgi yeah infinity war generic cgi Mm -hmm. civil war against each other black panther i don't remember having that reaction to violence but it was definitely against other humans it wasn't generic cgi right and so and i'm just thinking that through because i'm just wondering if that makes a difference i will say killmonger is pretty brutal in those beginning scenes and especially with Claw and his, I think, partner at the time where he shoots through to get to Claw. Right. But that was from the villain side. So it's, it's. I guess you're right in that we haven't seen the villains, act, I mean, the heroes act this way in a while. Well, you know what? And it's interesting. I've been watching Narcos lately. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Uh-huh. And when they shot Dr. Nagel. Yeah. That was actually, for the MCU, fairly violent. Mm-hmm. But considering like what they show in watching Narcos, 
that wasn't anywhere close. Right. And so I haven't I, seen the show, I, but I can imagine. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is TVMA. It'd be R if it's a movie. But I, it's just, I'm just wondering if it's the the way it was shot and how it's edited, you know, if if, if that's why it feels like the step up in violence. But I can see this distinction of, oh, it's not that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you definitely are right. And it should be a little bit more brutal. I mean, you have Winter Soldier in it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's okay. I guess because bringing it back to that original feeling of the ends justifying the means, we saw the way that played out in uh, Captain America Civil War of what they were willing to do, uh, Steve, to break the accords to save Bucky, uh, Tony to split up the team to sign these accords. Like we saw where it left them. And I, I wonder and this isn't a critique like this is just like where they're going with the story. Are we bound to see them make the same mistakes of justifying the ends or mm-hmm. justifying the means with the ends? Or is there a way to invoke this idea and go somewhere new? And I'm curious, like, that's going to be something that I keep in mind as we move forward with this. Right. Um. Yeah, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting. Winter Soldier, Bucky. Do I call him Buck? Bucky. I don't, I'm not allowed to Buck, I guess. Bucky. Do you have a plan? Because then you can call him Buck. Bucky. Um, <laughs> very clear on that one. Uh, okay, so 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 Bucky points out like, hey, you've done this, you know, because Sam clearly didn't want to break the law, right? Right. And he points out, you've done this once before. You did it for Cap, but it was for me. I need you to do it again. Um, and so it's it's interesting because on there, you know, Sam clearly, I feel like got talked into this whole well the the you know, ends justify the means kind of thinking. But I also think it reveals something about Sam in terms of, huh, I, I'm going to be careful here, but because I, I hate to say like, oh, he's willing to compromise his principles. Yeah. Right. But, but there's a, there's an ultimate principle we see in Sam is loyalty to his, his friends, you know, mm-hmm. and loyalty to Steve. And so in a way he's like honoring that principle by saying, yeah, I've done it once before. I'll do this again. And 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 relating to Steve, I mean, that was his growth from the first Avengers to Civil War. Like we saw Steve as this icon of Captain America, thought that he was placing all his trust and value into systems, you know, the military, the government, S.H.I.E.L.D., like all these situations that continually failed him. And then at the end of Civil War, he said, I put my faith in people. And it showed the shot of Sam, uh, Wanda, Scott, like all of them that were imprisoned. And so... I get what you're saying, how it, you, to be careful, because you don't want to see like, oh, you know, Sam's compromising on his principles. But yeah. it is an echo of what Steve learned to sometimes, you know, your trust in the people around you and you care for trumps the trust of some system, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, no, no. That makes that makes sense. Yeah. I, I like that echo a lot. I'm glad you pointed that out, too, because I, I we're, we're in this topic where we're talking about justified means and I couldn't find one for Sam. But that I like the way that you put that. And speaking of, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of a detour here. I know we talked about the breakout and everything leading up to that plane ride, but we actually had another section later on in the outline that we're going to bump up ahead called Justified Means. And what this is going to tackle is everything with John Walker that we see in his cold open and then later on in the episode, as well as Carly and some of the actions that she partook in in this episode. So starting with John Walker... I think, it, one, this is the fanboy in me. I really hate seeing him as Captain America. Like, it's just on a like <laughs> emotional level, I hate what I'm seeing on screen. But I do like 
that it, you can see this power has gone completely to his head. And I think there is more to what you were bringing up last week in them hinting at some troubled past with rage issues, because that came out a lot in this episode. Oh, yeah. Especially right there in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, this this whole, do you know who I am? Yeah. It, well, and the voice and breaking. Man, and you want to talk about a clear way of separating himself from Rogers. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think Rogers ever pulled the, do you know who I am? And I don't think he yeah. would have. It's entitlement. It's it's so hard because I know the, the first place that I reach for whenever it comes to scenes with John Walker is, oh, Steve never would have done this. And I think the easiest yeah. example we could have done was last week when we talked about, oh, John used the pistol in the fight. You brought it up of him using a pistol in, in the first Avengers, but we saw him, you know, we saw him do it again in the Avenger movie, the the one where they all team up for the first time. He had like an assault rifle when he was fighting off people. So yeah. there are echoes in the actions that John is doing versus what Steve did. Mm -hmm. But I think what we zoned in on or what I zoned in on is that entitlement, that line, do you know who I am? I think is the perfect embodiment of someone who's been given power and how they treat it. Well, I, in some ways, as I think it through, hmm, we need to rewatch it. This is, needs to be our next movie, Captain America, First Avenger. Yes. And, and only because I feel like Rogers did have the do you know who I am mo moment in his own way. Uh -huh. As I mean, if you think about the montage of his propaganda montage, uh -huh. where he didn't enjoy, he hated doing it at first, but by the end, you could see he's starting to buy in and like it, right? Like buy into his own propaganda and like it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the show was taken to the war front mm -hmm. and that kind of snapped him back to reality. Yeah. You know, where he quit buying his own, his own press, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, God, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I, I think I'm remembering the, that sequence correct. You are, and, you and, are, and, and so and so in that way, like I think Rogers did have that moment mm -hmm. that took him out of it. Um, and so I'm curious of is Walker going to follow a similar pattern and actually have some kind of moment that has him turn and take him out of that kind of a what have I become, or is he just going to go slide deeper and deeper into it? I know I'm so biased. <laughs> I feel like there may be a tipping, they may be tipping their hat in it. It's going to be a deeper and deeper situation because the way he walks out of that safe house in Germany, the way they shot it made it look like he was dealing. It's, it was almost like a medical effect. I don't know how else to describe it, where the camera's kind of like zoning in on their face. They look distraught and the camera's kind of wobbly. It looked like something was wrong. What? I don't uh -huh. know. But it is, it's almost like the come down of an adrenaline rush. Yeah. And so th to me, they're signaling something is different with John there. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because Lamar, uh, Battlestar. <laughs> Stop the car. So, okay. I, God, oh, I was listening to, hmm, I don't remember which podcast now, but they, but they were like, each time they said Battlestar, they were like, Battlestar. And it, that just got stuck in my head. <laughs> and I really need to credit them because it's not my idea. It's theirs. They got, they just inceptioned into my head. And I don't remember which one now. If you think of it, uh, uh, we'll put it in the description. All right, cool. So we think of it, we'll put it in the description. Um, I want to say it was Marvel Atlas. 
Yeah, you you recommended them to me twice this week. Yeah, so, so I think I, I think it was that one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but like I, I'll I'll just say is like he's had a he's had a clear head. It feels like you know like oh, he, yeah. he's the one that said you can't punch your way out of this one. He's the one here that you know was like he didn't quite say anything, but it was like his reaction to the do you know who I am just was like no this is off this isn't something that's right. Um, mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. I've heard this go both ways. Do they have superpowers? I say no. Okay. I, and, and I can back it up in text, but there could be deceit. But the Good Morning America interview, he says, I don't have fancy gadgets or super strength like Steve, uh, like Tony and, and Dr. Banner. So I just have guts. He's a, yeah. God, I hate that line. <laughs> that yeah. makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, ta- I was talking to my friend, Sean. He's like, no, no, no. They had the line about him testing off the charts. And uh-huh. I, and I, re- and I just remember watch every time I've watched it, just taking it of like, you're just, you know, peak human. Right. Now I, I know I'm trying to be tread lightly here because the, because you know, comic knowledge and different stuff. And so I feel like the way we're headed, he's going to get some serum mm-hmm. if he doesn't already. Yeah. So I, I feel like one of those two things is going to happen. I just I just wasn't sure if it had it hadn't happened yet. I would not be surprised based on what I was talking about the shot of him being distraught coming out of the safe house. Yeah. yeah. But as of right now, the the public knowledge is no, he does not have it. Well, and also because you're just wondering, like, does that enhance his anger issues if he has anger issues? Mm-hmm. You know, and is that why if he already had it and he's on the serum, if he's already had anger issues, he's on the serum. Are we starting to see that kind of blow up or are they laying the seeds of these anger issues and then he's going to take the serum and that goes off the charts? You know, I'm I'm just curious if that's kind of the direction they might be going. I think so. Because um, another thing, you know, we're talking about these sections with John and Lamar. We get another scene towards the end where they're like, oh, you know, Sam and Bucky broke out Zemo because they were desperate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to follow them and we're going to do some things off the books. And Lamar questions it. And John says, if we get the job done, do you think they're going to sweat us on how on the how? Right. And as soon as he said that line, uh, one of the first things that came to mind, it's actually from the Black Panther soundtrack. It's one of my favorite lines. Um, from one of the songs, I think all the stars and the line is corrupt a man's heart with a gift. That's how you find out who you're dealing with. And to me that that's an embodiment of the predicament that we're seeing here because, you know, the fantasy of the superheroes is in the real world. If someone had all that power, of course they would be corrupted, right? Like that's just, that's unfortunately what we see time and time again. Right. But because this is comic books, we see that people with these great powers are incorruptible. That was what made Steve Steve. And I feel like they're showing they're showing how John isn't that person because he may not be bad because we do have that contrast of Lamar, how he contains that reasonable side of how they used to be. Yeah. But because he's found this new power and the lack of respect for it, it can't help but be echoed to why Erskine chose Steve because that was his superpower was the incorruptibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? And it's and interesting. I, it's interesting because with all of that, thinking about all those things, there's the line, you know. Um, okay, so real quick in my notes, uh-huh. I have off-brand cap. 
<laughs> and then after that, I just have OBC <laughs> for the rest of my notes I love on, it. on that. Um, I love it. But so, but there's a line after he gets spit in the face and there's a line that says, you Americans have become brutes. It sticks out to me for two reasons. A, the language of have become brutes, right? Um, mm-hmm. But also like we get that, like you were saying here, he has this power, even if it's not the serum, just the power of like the name and the label and that follows into the, do you know who I am? And he just mm-hmm. kind of reaffirmed, yes, we have become brutes. And that's what is embodying it right right at that moment. It's almost like the fact that he willingly accepted the role proves that he's not ready for the role. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> as contradictory as that is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's so funny to me. Like, we're, I feel like in some ways we're looking for reasons not to like him. Uh-huh. Because you could make the case that, you know, Rogers willingly accepted the role and wanted that role because he wanted to go over and fight, you know. Right. Um, I think the motivations, though, is the biggest difference. But even there, I struggle with it a little bit because they gave us that scene that you feels like a genuine moment where he's like, I just want to help people, you know, sitting in the locker yeah. room. So, yeah, and so it's, yeah, it's interesting. My only pushback, and we don't have to delve too far into it because I know this is getting into my Captain America fanboy, the role that Steve accepted was the super soldier. Captain America as an icon was what Steve built after, if that makes sense. No, no, it makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, it's, I'd be an interesting case study, academic paper or whatever, this idea of virtues and virtue ethics and the ways in which Steve became virtuous, right? And mm-hmm. through his development over time, like you said, became this. And mm-hmm. the way Walker is is trying to jump into something that he's not ready for, right? Like, like he rationally knows, like, this is what I need to do, mm-hmm. but he, he can't quite pull it off because he hasn't developed it. Yeah. So on this flip side of the justified means, on the other side, Carly Morgenthau was the other section that we had in this. And we get briefer scenes with her, but it's still with that idea of the justified means because we've talked about it before, right? Like the the Flag Smashers, on paper, their idea isn't bad. Like distributing resources to people that need it, trying to unify everybody under, you know, this one idea of like... um, Global unity. One world, one people. Yeah, one world, one people. And we've seen how that pure idea has been corrupted to the point where Carly is just completely bombing uh, these, what is it? The the GRC? Uh, yeah, buildings? the GRC. The GRC. Yeah. And and even her, her friend, like the look on his face after she's done that and says like violence is the only language they understand. Right. It's showing that she may be going down a similar path. Or no, not maybe. She is going down a similar path of like too much power shows you know, the heart of a person. Right. Yeah. And I, I really like that sequence because up, up until that point, what we've seen of them, they're pretty united around a cause, right. And helping people like as a group. Uh, mm-hmm. And you said it like the look on his face, like that was clearly her plan that he didn't know about. And up until that point, you, I feel like you get the sense that they're all on the same page, all know the plan. One world, one people. Yeah. So much for that. <laughs> right? Like it's. Yeah. Hmm. Now I'm wondering, and I think I'm right. What are podcasts If she for? doesn't get that. Te- yeah. But well, I mean, if she doesn't get that text message, does she do that? Hmm. Like, like is the text message. She was scared. 
It, you know, that's that's the um, read I think they wanted us to have. And so is this kind of like an escalation because you sent that text? Okay, this is, you know, an intimidation factor maybe? I could see it. Yeah. My my first instinct, because I was, I was a little hesitant, but my first instinct was like, no, that felt like it was related to the super, ser- super soldier serum. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's me reading and, and projecting on my own because we don't know what it is. It could be something with the GRC uh, knowing that she stole resources. So, yeah, I, I think maybe it is this. It's right. Everything aside, it's motivated by fear, and I think you're completely spot on with that. Yeah. Oh, but but I'm, and maybe I'm I'm just now realizing in full, but how you, how you said that that text you associated with the gr the soldier the serum. Yeah. And she blew up the grc. I'm. I mean, we're calling her the power broker. Like, if you listen to last week, I called it John Walker. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't think she's that scared of John Walker. Uh, <laughs> Nobody should be. <laughs> no, but but I was going to say, like, it's not going to surprise me to see the power broker have his hands in the GRC, like corruption. Oh. I mean, John Walker, you know, gets out of a GRC van that says yeah. police on it, right? So he's calling himself government. And yeah, so I, it's not going to surprise me if you see some overlap of, you know, power control between those two. Mm-hmm. All right, so that does it for our detour with the Justified Means section. We're going to go back into the original section of Breakout because uh, we do have one more thing to talk about, and that is while they're on the plane, Zemo gives a speech about iconography. And I really think that was an, an incredibly placed moment to have it because I think it's, it's like we just talked about, it, I think it's zoning in on what makes this feeling of John Walker being Cap so uncanny because... Zemo isn't wrong about people becoming icons or a symbol and their flaws get pushed to the side. You know, we put them under the rug and it's it's forgotten. Right. I like that they have that moment with Zemo because it's it's just wonderfully well said. Yeah. Now, I'm going to push back on the incorruptible just a little bit right at this moment. Okay. Only because I think that's like, isn't that what Zemo was trying to show with Civil War? Like, like, like you wouldn't have been able to take him down the way he did from the inside, so to speak. If you couldn't get to Cap. This is really funny to me because at the heart of this question, I think is the Team Cap, Team Iron Man. Because I'm Team Cap, to me, it feels like Tony was the one who got corrupted because of his anger and not being able to see the distinction between Bucky being mind controlled into doing the actions he did. And that's what happened. But because I also know the true answer of Civil War is that both of them were wrong. Right. I see what you mean. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, both were wrong. Yeah. Right. Like otherwise it doesn't fall apart. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, I mean, well, okay. The right thing to do was sign the accords, period. Mm. <laughs> right. But the reasoning for Stark wanting to sign the accords was wrong. Right. Or he thought, like, ugh, I don't want to get too far into this, but, but, but like, <laughs> but like ultimately, you know, it, it's, I think that's what it was showing, right? Like it, like mm-hmm. there. So, so I just want to push back on that, like, because I think, I think, in other words, Zemo has a stronger point because Steve was corruptible, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Like, like he didn't put the greater good first over Bucky, and that's what took his well, path down. And Zemo knew this because that, like, like that's why you know he used Bucky to frame him. But the greater good, if that doesn't happen. Well, no, because Zemo kills the super soldiers. I was going to say the, the the greater good of what Steve was doing was to putting a stop to all the super soldiers that would have been out and about, but no, Zemo took care of them. Yeah. Did you just turn me into a Team Cap? You mean Team Stark? 
Yeah, I can't even say, even when I'm trying to be honest, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I haven't, by the time we're done with our Civil War review, I will, but okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to really think about that. I think you bring a really good point. Hmm. I'll wrap up my, as because I, I clearly still need to mull this over. The last thing I'll put for this is clearly Zemo still holds a distaste for Steve. Like he is totally in that camp of icons and their flaws being swept under the rug. But I like the juxtaposition of this conversation versus what we've seen with Sam having given up the shield. Right. Because there is this, it continues on later, but this is idea of what that shield means in the absence of somebody I guess the safest way I can put it is somebody we trust. I feel mm-hmm. like Sam is somebody we trust within this narrative. Yeah. And so maybe corruptible or not, Sam can be that person. That I don't see him being the like, do you know who I am kind of person that we've seen John Walker. Yeah. But but clearly Zemo got to Sam because Sam was like, well, think of all the lives the shield took, even under Sam, under, you know, Caps, Roger, let's do it this way, Steve's control. Um, and he yeah. went so far as to say maybe nobody should have the seal, the, the shield. Mm-hmm. You know, so clearly Zemo got to Sam here. My pushback, because we're not in this section yet, but my pushback, is it Zemo or is it going back to what I said of like, you know, there will always be ways that America fails. I mean, the thing that he first references is they refer to him as the American test subject, like Isaiah is not a real person. And so I think it's digging more into those racial tensions of how can I pick up this mantle when almost what it represents shows the callousness that has treated black Americans and people of color. So what I don't know if I don't know if I would put that on Zemo though. Right. Well, and here's well, I was I was talking with another coworker and we were talking about how, you know, Sam's arc is am I worthy to carry the shield? Uh-huh. I'm not so sure. Like I'm really curious if what would if this is his like I asked the other the last episode before my internet cut out. <laughs> was you know is this Sam's version of taking a knee? Yeah, I I feel like that's what this is more so than the idea of I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Is it gonna be I don't want it because of it being Captain America and America doesn't see me as worthy when I am, mm. and I'm curious of and and. The, the reaction of finding out in the last episode that, well, there was a black Captain America and nobody mm-hmm. told me about it or to say, call it the test subject when you're talking about Isaiah Bradley. Yeah, he doesn't even get the respect of the title. Right. That, I think, adds to this of like, if, if I'm not seen as worthy to have it, I know I'm worthy to have it. But if I'm not seen as worthy to have it, why should I? Mm-hmm. I'm really curious if that's what we're doing, you know, because, I mean, he says like, in that group therapy session as we start reviewing episode two. But but he says in the group therapy session, right? He's he's like, you and Steve are need to accept the fact that y'all might not understand why what I did was right. Mm-hmm. So I, that's and, and my coworker I was talking to, he's like, no, it's pretty clear that it's this. I was like, well, that's 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 going to be my orchestrator for this season. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm on your side, though. I, I really think there is this level um And I'll be completely honest, like I'm very careful in the way that I phrase it, because this is obviously a delicate conversation to have. Like this is something that we've been wrestling with for a long time, but Mm -hmm. even more ignited after last summer. And so I always try to be careful in the way that I I bring it up because I don't want to trivialize it. But I think you are correct. And I think equating it to, you know, taking the knee, because why 
you know, why stand for something that clearly is not equal to me? Right. And maybe either Falcon and the Winter Soldier hasn't gotten to the ways that it's going to handle that directly, mm-hmm. or it, this is its way of bringing it in delicately into a superhero show. Not to be pejorative, because clearly we love superhero shows, but whenever you bring in serious real-world conversations, it's got to be done so delicately. Yes. All that being said, and this, unless you got any more, this actually kind of transitioned us into our next topic. Yeah, let's do that. This is the Magipor section, which tackles everything from them arriving through their meeting with Selby uh, up until their guardian angel. So the reason I wanted to transition into this is because of everything we just said about uh, these racial tensions that they're exploring and whether or not Sam can, whether or not Sam wants to take up the mantle. Part of the reasons why I said I felt like this episode is tackling more than it could chew. As funny as it was, I was not a fan of the Sam's phone call part. And the reason why is because it feels like they're making Sam the butt of the joke. And like, I know one of the common criticisms of Marvel is that it always feels like they throw in too much humor in moments that should be serious. Uh Most of the time that works for me, but it already had this feeling that Sam's not getting the exploration that I would have liked. Like one of the reasons we liked WandaVision so much is that we got to see an exploration of their characters. And so far it seems like we've seen a lot of reactions from Sam, but not actually getting to learn more about him. Right. And I'm very scared that we're losing that focus on him as we go forward uh, with just so many different storylines to tackle. Yeah. When the most interesting one to me is what we just discussed with those racial tensions. Yeah. Well, and you got a lot out of Winter Soldier. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in this scene, and I know it was the like that was the point of the violence here. Right. Like, hey, you need to be the Winter Soldier here. And it showed like Zemo had control. But we know that Bucky was fully in control. And even Zemo is like, it looks like he enjoys it kind of. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Whereas Sam didn't have that kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they were able to, to they were able to tell us a lot about Bucky with that action sequence. And the way because there was a distinct difference in his movements and how he fought here versus when he was fighting on top of the moving trucks yeah it was completely different moves completely different mindsets they told us a lot about it with the action and you're right with sam and i get it story-wise phone call right like they they it's one of those things where like they wrote themselves into a corner zemo's like i will give you winter soldier for this information Uh and you're like okay how are you gonna get out of this one Oh, I know. We'll have, you know, the phone ring and then they just fight their way out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like, so I don't want to go. I want to be very careful because I don't want to like accuse of lazy writing. Like I don't, I'm not going, (laughs) I'm not going that far, but you see those moments where they write themselves into a corner. Um, I think it was, uh, when I was watching, I want to say it was Arrow on CW Uh when I was watching that regularly. I want to say it was that show might've been the flash. I want to say it was one of the CW shows, and I remember watching an interview on YouTube with like creators and writers. I could be wrong, but I want to say it's those. But either way, the point is, they were like, we want to put ourselves, we, we want to put our heroes in a situation where it takes us a week in the writer's room to figure out how to get it out of, how to, how to get them out of it. Mm-hmm. Because if it takes us, you know, a week to figure out how to get them out of this, our audience isn't going to figure it out on the spot. Yeah. Y- you know, and... Mm-hmm. And that, that always stuck with me, and it felt, this moment, like, felt like as soon as the phone rang and you did this, it was just kind of like, okay, they and wrote themselves, happened. yeah, and this happened. They wrote themselves in the corner, <laughs> how do we get them out of this situation to the next one? So, yeah, so, like, that's what I got out of the phone call. I mean, and it's not the only time that Sam becomes the, the joke, too, but, I mean, look at him at the bar when he's struggling with having, to, which... 
admittedly looked like a gross drink, where right. they, they sliced open the snake to have the guts. Like, it's pure comedy on Sam's part. And I'm not advocating that, like, oh, there can't be any comedy. It just, I want to see an equal balance of, like, exploration of the characters. Right. Um, as you so put it wonderfully with the way we saw Winter Soldier. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, like, so I'm thinking about, we again, we started this pod with the Daredevil Season 1 series. They uh-huh. had a whole show dedicated to your favorite, Stick. Um, <laughs> no, but, like, they had a whole episode dedicated to just that history. Yeah. And they had a whole episode dedicated to just Fisk's past. With three episodes left, you're not going to get, I don't think, a whole or even half an episode dedicated to Sam's past. Mm-hmm. Right. So I hope that's coming. I think it's coming. They're going to have to get really efficient and creative like they did with the breakout. Yep. Um, and so so I all that to say, I think you're right. Like, mm-hmm. like, like that precious time is slipping away, especially if he's going to be the next cap. Yeah. Well, look how, how much conversations we've been able to squeeze out of John Walker being cap. Right. And I feel like we haven't gotten to see any of that with Sam yet. Mm-hmm. Like, right, and, and, and they're the spending old... a lot of screen time, and, and I think the rightfully so, trying to get us to be conflicted about Walker, and they're doing a good job of that. But man, Sam's back history and that kind of stuff. And the only thing that we've kind of seen, because we've touched on it before, especially in episode one, about how jarring it was to see Sam take out those enemies. Right. I don't even. I don't think that's intentionally done. So that's just something we have to accept with the language of action movies. But because there is that vacuum of exploration, that's the only thing we have to draw on, and it just makes it this uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. I don't know. That's why I said I'm 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 not disliking it yet, but I am concerned, and I really do hope they stick this landing. You know, I don't. I, and that's what's interesting. I don't have a fear of disliking it. Yeah. Because because I'm I'm enjoying it. It was a fun mm-hmm. episode, good episode. I liked it. But in terms of expectations and like what you'd hope to see, especially with the title characters, uh-huh. I I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that. Hey, and six episodes, three episodes in, we've seen a lot about Winter Soldier. Maybe these last three are going to be Falcon. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for our Madripoor section. We're not done in Madripoor, but we wanted to tackle in this first introduction. So moving on to the next important topic, uh, it is going to be titled Guardian Angel. Now, of course, this deals with finding out that Sharon, uh, Sharon Carter was there and helped Sam, Bucky, and Zemo get out of the meeting with Selby and everything dealing with her and being excommunicated from the States and living out here in Madripoor. And of course, her action scenes uh, on the way to Nagel. So I'm a little confused. Yeah. I feel like Sharon Carter is the one that shot Selby. 100%. Okay. Did I not set that up right? Well, no, I just, there was elements of just the way it played out and how he was, she was like, they're coming after, like, like in other words, she clearly set them up to be, I I, I don't know, it was weird. I felt like she set them up to be the ones that caught Sel- shot Selby because she's saving them and then like everybody thinks that they did it and she's like, even the language, they're like, they're coming after Selby's killer now. We got to get you hidden, you know? Yeah. And it's, so, I don't know. I The more I thought about this episode, I'm not convinced that she wants to go back to the USA. Uh-huh. And or she actually doesn't need Sam's help. There's definitely an air of mystery to her character, and I do not think she's being a 100% audience, no. 100% audience, 100% honest with the audience. I think it was Arrow that that kind of tipped me off to this in the Discord. Uh huh. Just because I started thinking, it's like, okay, this is six months after she got blipped, came back, 
Did she really, in six months' time, set up all of that in Madripoor? Did, so, wait. Did did we get confirmation that she was blipped? I thought we did. I'm going to have to double-check that, that. I'm going to have to double-check that. Okay. Well, now that we're kind of here in this questioning of whether or not everything makes sense, whether through, like, hey, this is inconsistent, or maybe there's more to her than, we're te- than she's showing... The first thing I got to, if I'm not mistaken, this I, I meant to check this. I didn't get to beforehand. But at the end of the Winter Soldier, didn't we see that she was, like, training with the CIA? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, this is, like, CIA right up their alley, right? Right. So this is, this is I just wanted to establish that. So laying out my groundwork. Uh, last we saw her, I mean, of course, she did steal the shield and said she's been on the run since then. But she was working with the CIA, we get to that interview later on where we find out that Nagel was working with the CIA as well. And then later on, again, we see that Sharon gets her own scene where she says, okay, we've got a big problem. I'll explain it to you in the car. Right. I think there's something more to maybe she's still working with the CIA and this is just a cover. And that would help explain why, like, hey, it doesn't make sense that this was all set up in six months. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like she agreed to work with them in order to not blow her cover. Yeah. Like, because they came in, she put on her hood, she shot Selby, helped them escape, helped them get to the power, not the power broker, but Dr. Nagel, or maybe they helped her get to Dr. Nagel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I think she would help them because she didn't want her cover blown. Yeah. I mean, she was already at the bar. Right. And that, and that again, thematically, this episode just, you know, ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be completely stretching, so I'm I'm full well aware of this, but I just want it on the record. She makes a comment that she has a place in Hightown and that they can hide out there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. When they first get to Madripoor, there's that conversation with Bucky, Sam, and Zemo where Zemo distinguishes like, hey, uh, Hightown's a great place to hang out if you're visiting, but we're going to go to Lowtown. Right. And Sam says, I guess we don't have any friends in Hightown. And then Sam gets into the car, but the camera lingers on Zemo. And he has this smile to his face. Is there potential manipulation here that's, that he knew they would cross paths and make things complicated? It's possible. Maybe? Possible. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if hey, there is something. Zemo's yeah. like Batman. He's rich. He has connections. Oh, <laughs> uh, the master manipulator. Yeah. I was going to go for the Joker Joker side, but uh, I can see the Batman one as well. Yeah. 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 Okay, look. We, yeah. we just, in my, in my students just came off an assignment where they had to watch Batman Begins and talk about, and that's why I had virtues earlier on the mind, virtue uh, virtue uh-huh. ethics, about what Aristotelian character type Batman is. And I am, uh-huh. um, there's basically virtuous, continent, incontinent, and, you know, just kind of in a nutshell, uh, a vicious. And I'm convinced Batman in Batman Begins is a vicious uh, character type. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's doing the same thing Zemo does. <laughs> Yeah. He's very one-sided, uses his money to get what he wants, willing to manipulate. Yeah. I think for theatrics. Yeah. Baron Zemo is Batman. <laughs> uh, Marvel's Batman. <laughs> so just to round out all of that, clearly there is more to Sharon Carter's character than we're seeing. I really hope it doesn't go down this villainous route because I like her and I just don't want her to become that. Uh-huh. But I will say I am slightly disappointed that we're seeing more ways that the Avengers left their own in the dust yeah. in more ways than one. Um, you know, we already saw Sam with his financial issues in episode one. And then now with her being on the run, it just, it feels weird. Mm-hmm. And maybe 
maybe it's more work towards that idea of like icons being absolved of flaws. Right. But as of right now, I don't see how they can work that back into the storyline without already having tainted this image of what the Avengers were yeah. before. So she was blue. She was? Well, you just said they left her in the dust. Well, left their own in the dust. (laughs) All that work for my joke and I contradicted myself. They'll never know what we had to cut out. (laughs) Or maybe they will. Maybe it'll make it the (laughs) intake. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, I'm bummed about that. Okay, so here's where I'm I'm conflicted and I just need to see more uh, to before I can solidify my thoughts on Sharon Carter in this in this episode. When they left Sharon, my first thought, and this was before she made the phone call, was like, wow, like, we're not getting a lot of Sharon. And mm-hmm. we didn't get a lot in Civil War. We didn't get a lot in Winter Soldier. At the time when Winter Soldier came out, she was the main character in a hit TV show. And it was just like, I don't know. I just felt like I got to give Sharon Carter better treatment here, right? Better screen time, better stuff to do. It just felt not a lot of agency, a lot of reactionary type stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And then so when they first brought her in, you know, and seeing what she had done for herself, you know, not being able to return to America, um, I liked all that bit. But once you got into the back and forth of like, hey, I can help you come back. Why would I want to? No, I can help you come back. Oh, okay. And then go help. It just felt like a secondary role. And I'm like, man, they got to do better with this character. Um, That last phone call made me hopeful that we're going to see something better with this character. Um, I'm with you. I don't want to see her go villainous. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, if we're going to get some development and a little bit more fleshed out, then okay, I guess I'll take it. You know, Mm. I, I just feel like... I, I just feel like there's something that, that they're it feels like they're using her over the course of the times we've seen her as instruments to get our main characters other places without actually really mm-hmm. fleshing out her story. I think you're 100 percent spot on on that. You know, I, one uh, in the discord, I'm I kind of I think it was either after the end of last episode or this episode, or somewhere in between the week, I said I wouldn't be surprised, given how much time is left, if Zemo and Sharon turn out to be nothing more than cameos. Right. I yeah. think we're going to be seeing Zemo a little bit longer. Sharon, I I really have that sinking suspicion she might be a cameo, and I really hope that's not the case. Because I was talking to a friend, and she mentioned one of the biggest problems that she's had with this season so far is that there's a, a very real lack of women voices in this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. here you bring in this character, this woman character, a prominent role. And again, this just, uh, like you said, I think you put it wonderfully, just an instrument to get from one yeah. place to the next. And and I know what some people listening might be thinking, even if she shows up again, if it's just once in one more episode and it's handed off to whoever she called, let's say it's CIA and it's Everett Ross. Let's say mm-hmm. she's like, no, I'm good where I'm at and it's the power broker and she's setting them two up, whatever it is. I would still categorize that as as a as part of a cameo rather than something really substantial. You yeah. know, I think I think to to really satisfy and be have her have a substantial role, we see she shows up in all three episodes. Two or three is that enough? Y- you know, God, even Sam's sister's only been in what one episode? In the yeah, phone, in, one and a half. If you want to count the call, yeah, say in the phone call, one and a quarter. Yeah, so 
Like I said, it, it, I got that feeling they're juggling a lot. They're going to have to yeah. really stick this landing. Yeah. Well, and and again, I thought it was good that they switched from Carl to Carly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have one more point. Uh-huh. And I think I think it's further proof to what you were saying, how she feels more reactionary than actually adding to the story. I do feel like it's pertinent to add it here. So everything that I said about, oh, I don't like that the Avengers left her out in the dust and they didn't protect her like, um, you know, getting Bucky uh, pardoned. Yeah. It makes sense for that to happen like this. Maybe this plays into that by having her. She has that line like, oh, you you bought into the Stars and Stripes. You were Cap's uh, right-hand man or whatever she was saying to uh-huh. Bucky. And the reason that I like that so much is because earlier we see that Zemo understands the power of iconography. Sharon has taken more of this nihilistic approach to it. And it harkens back to what Rhodey was talking about in episode one where we've seen the opposite sides in this power vacuum of the Avengers has flipped. And alliances are all twisted. And I like that we're seeing that as a callback to what Rhodey was talking about uh-huh. in episode one. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's interesting because you have a clear juxtaposition, you know, where you have mm-hmm. CIA agent Sharon Carter, you know, talking to Bucky about the stars and stripes. Uh-huh. And you're bought in, but he is very much Hydra, Soviet, Serbia kind of problem uh-huh. and he's the guy we're choosing we're we're rooting for and like you know who's quote unquote the the reasonable person in terms of the ideas the show's treading in mm-hmm. whereas the the one in the stars and stripes right is is the one that everybody for the most part hates mm-hmm. you know and that's the the kind of nationalism and the the pride in country and, and and those types of things and what he's trying to represent gone wrong and i just find it interesting that the audience is going for or rooting on you know the the opposite of 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 like pride and country so to speak and and i framed it as i don't know if i framed it well so i want to rehammer home the point like i mentioned i was disappointed how we saw the avengers leave her in the dust uh-huh. maybe that's the point Maybe it's supposed to make us uncomfortable in, in the same way that, like, what you were talking about, the nationalism, yeah. some self-reflection of, like, what you think is or isn't right. right. Man, despite being somewhat worried about this episode, the conversations spawned off it are still really entertaining. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have one more final point here, and it's in the Guardian Angel Sharon section just because it takes place while she was doing some uh, information gathering about where they could find Nagel. Uh-huh. I'm going to be completely honest. I really didn't like seeing Zemo dance. I don't know why. And it made me like, I was just like, oh, come on. And the reason I say this is because we mentioned football in the beginning. I fully recognize that this is me being the old person that's upset with Juju Smith-Schuster for dancing on the center of the field at football (laughs) games. (laughs) That's funny. That's really funny. There's no reason for me not to like it. I just, I don't know why. It just made me mad. Yeah. Anyway, bringing us back to well, okay. Uh, the episode. As a Cowboys fan, I remember watching <laughs> Terrell Owens run off to the star, and then George Teague for, on on the second time running down and clocking him, and then same uh-huh. game, Emmett Smith running there and spiking the ball in the star, looking at each other. I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect that center of the field. That's sacred turf. 
<laughs> Bringing it back to the episode, I think the reason why I don't like it is because like it feels like it ruins the mystique of Zemo. Because in in Civil War, we saw him like so calculated, and every every point with him was deliberate. Yeah. And to see him cut loose and bust a move. You know what? <laughs> when you're a rich baron, you can do those <laughs> kinds of things. That's the benefit of being Batman. You're right. When are we going to see Bruce Wayne uh, cut a run? I know. I know. <laughs> oh man! All right, bringing us bringing us back to the episode. This is going to be our last topic. Uh, it's entitled Serum Hunt, and this deals with everything in interrogating uh, Nagel, Doctor Nagel, and all their their moves towards finding out these remaining twenty vials of the super serum. Yeah, super soldier serum. Okay, so the super serum, one of the things I found fascinating, and I've already mentioned earlier about Nagel getting shot, right? Yeah. And we're in this full spoiler zone, so that's fine. One of the things I found fascinating is tracing that super serum. They wrote it in such a way that there's a limited amount. Uh-huh. Right? I'm really curious now, because I didn't catch this, Carly and the Flag Smashers have them, is the way I take right. it. How many have they used? I think seven. Okay. I don't know if it's seven plus Carly or seven including Carly. And so I, I think it's interesting that, A, there's a limited number. So we're clearly going to find a way, you, you know, I mean, in some ways I get it. You don't want someone running around in the MCU that can just at will make a super soldier, right? Like that's just terrible storytelling. But I'm curious of who is going to get the remaining serum. Like, are they going to, are they going to like, like, are they going to destroy them? Does Sam get one? Because, uh, I mean, I, I mean, almost a year ago, we did a What to Expect in Falcon Winter Soldier. And I think one of us talked about that, about Sam possibly. Yeah, like Sam possibly being asked to take the serum and he's mm-hmm. conflicted about it. You know, and I'm wondering if we'll have this scene where Sam, and, and I don't know how I feel about this, if Sam should take it or not. Like given the opportunity, but I feel like we're going to have some scene where Sam has an opportunity to take it, whether he's asked or feels like he needs it to win a fight, but then doesn't and finds a way Uh to overcome without it. I I feel like that's coming. If I were a betting man, I would say, okay, (laughs) uh, I would say John Walker takes it. And that's where we see Sam kind of playing in what you're talking about. I think we see Sam grapple with whether or not he feels like he has to take it to take on John Walker, but Uh that. You know, we talk about the story circle, like you reach the bottom of the story circle and then you return having changed. I think Sam's return having changed is that feeling worthy outside of needing the super soldier serum. Yeah. So I don't I my guess is that he doesn't take it, but I do think we'll see him grapple with it. Mm-hmm. Because I, when you first brought that up a year ago, that's what I love so much about it was the first questions we all had, even before the show had a trailer, was how can Sam do this if he's not a super soldier? Right. And I thought that that's what would make it special is that he can do this in spite of not having that because that's not what the Captain America superhero is about. Right. So I hope not. You know, well, it's just because also the way they wrote it, you know, like when Nega was talking about his version of it, it was like, well... They wrote it in such a way where where clearly, like, right, like, you had little puny Steve Rogers, he gets enhanced uh-huh. and gets built. And he's like, no, mine doesn't do that. You just take it and get it without actually getting big, you know? Yeah. And and there. And, and so, to me, they were writing it that way. It made me wonder, wait, are you throwing those lines specifically so Sam could take it without having to 
mess with the physical change? Or were you writing it that way to kind of explain not having the physical changes in Carly and the other Flag Smashers? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm really curious of, because that was super specific, you know? And it, it's specific, like, even if you want to take it at face value in the meta universe, or I'm sorry, in the actual narrative universe, why? Like, what, what, why make it so you don't change but still have the super strength, if, you know? Right. Okay. So, uh, so a podcast I was listening to periodically, Dimension 20, which is Brendan Lee Mulligan, uh, one of my favorite DMs, if I'm going to watch an actual play of Dungeons Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons. And he was talking to somebody else. I can't remember which episode, but they were talking about his fear of doing sci-fi versus uh-huh. fantasy. And and I'll swing it back to the MCU in just a second. But he said the, the problem with sci-fi for him, and, and not all sci-fi does this, but a lot of sci-fi does. He's like, they're so specific. Like you think of Star Trek, right? And even Star Wars has a little bit of it, but it's like, this is how it works. The mechanics, the engineering, you can get blueprints for all the shield, you know, ships. They're super specific. Whereas in fantasy, we kind of know the lab, the, the vocabulary and the, and there's a familiarity of it and you don't need mm-hmm. those specifics. Right. Pin particles. The, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like in the MCU, they, they kind of walk that line, uh-huh. right? They, they trust our visual knowledge and vocabulary of the genre, but when they need us to know something, they get specific. And that's why that really stood out to me. Like they yeah. don't go that specific sci-fi unless they need us to know it. And so that's, that's why it, it kind of is like, oh, is Sam going to take it? Are they trying to plant seeds to justify this or something else? That's a good thought. Yeah. That's, I never really thought about it in terms of the specificity of, of the MCU. Like, cause you're right. They do get granular if they need to. And that only provokes that question of why they were. Hmm. So another thing I wanted to zone in on is after the confrontation with Nagel, we see that they, the container that they were in gets exploded and they're kind of fighting for their lives and we see another moment where Sam and Bucky are just bickering back and forth. And I say it only because it feels like this is such a dire moment and we see them going back and forth. At first, I was like, okay, come on, guys. You you guys got to get it together. Uh-huh. But I see what they're doing because I love the contrast that they have of Sam and Bucky are bickering. They're not succeeding in the fight. We see Zemo atop with his mask decisively hit that gaslight and explode and take care of everybody. And it shows how even though Zemo is our quote unquote bad guy because of his um, discipline and his decisiveness, he's moving forward and actually making progress. But because Sam and Bucky can't work together, it's just hampering them. And I like that. Well, and it's it's kind of a mini version of what they did with Civil War, Infinity War and Endgame. Right. They're going to mm-hmm. split them apart and because they're not united. One world, one team of Avengers, maybe. I don't know. Because they're not united, <laughs> they, they fail. And when they're united, they win. Yeah. And you kind of you see a little bit of elements right there between them. I think that's a good read on it. Because, I mean, everything so far in Falcon, the Winter Soldier feels like such strong echoes to specifically Civil War. But because of the effects Civil War had and to Infinity War and in, in, in Endgame, I can see that. Yeah. Well, and up until this point, hmm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Up until this point, we haven't seen this really shows how capable Zemo is and how ruthless he is. Yeah. Even more so than the breakout. I would agree. So, because yeah. it's, it's much more physical. Yeah, so like, so I, I think I think doing that served kind of two purposes of following up from episode two, 
Sam and Bucky trying to figure out how to work together. And because, I mean, here's the thing I think some people forget, and I know I did as, as I'm anticipating the show coming out. It's not like Sam and Bucky had a lot of time together. Mm-mm. Like Sam is just tracking down Bucky. They're paired up together in the second half of Civil War, but they get separated when Bucky and Cap go off and Bucky spends the time in Wakanda. They show up at Wakanda at Infinity War. There's a battle. They get dusted. And they really haven't given us what happened between coming back dusted, the end of Endgame, and this six months and their yeah. interaction. So as much as they're paired together, they don't they, they haven't spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. They're not going to work well together. Exactly. I do like the callback, though, about you're not going to move your seat up, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Man, and it's just, I know it's a callback to Civil War, so maybe I could be wrong, but- there's something about the way they work together. Uh, I mentioned this last week. I just want to hammer it home again. It really feels because of their chemistry as real people, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. Mm-hmm. They're able to like continuously mold that character, uh, those characters. Yeah. And I just like seeing them work together. Yeah. There's one critique I've heard, I've seen of this overall series, even though it was of the show, uh, of of. Huh. Of the episode of <laughs> of episode it was it was of episode two in particular, uh-huh. but I, I think I think it's safe that I'm for me to take that and kind of do it of the of the show entirely. It there is an element of and I think it was on the one Daniel post uh, the podcast from NPR Pop Culture Happy Hour. Um, I think it was Discord. yeah I think it was that and and maybe I'm also bringing in some ideas of something else I watched on YouTube. With that in mind, they haven't spent a lot of time together. There's some things that it's like the banter while it's good and it works. I like it. Like it, I enjoy it. There is an element of where it shouldn't work actually. Mm-hmm. You know, what we know from Sam from winter soldier, he worked at the VA. He helped soldiers coming back with trauma. Like if anybody would understand Bucky's plight, it should be Sam. Right. You, you know, and, and you just don't see that, especially like in the therapy scene, you, you know what I mean? And, and so, like, just the some of the bantering back and forth is great because Sebastian Stan and Mackie pull it off and all of that. But it doesn't also make sense necessarily for where those characters are at and where they came from. Now, it's not going to stop me from watching it. It's not going to stop me from enjoying. <laughs> oh it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like completely. But like, you, you know, I, I think it's something that that we just overlook sometimes. Well, even go back to the uh, very beginning when we were talking about the prison break scene and Sam and Bucky are talking about the hypothetical and Sam goes, well, why would a fight start out randomly? And Bucky goes, I don't know. Any number of reasons could happen. That's like, <laughs> that doesn't feel Bucky. But that's yeah. how I feel like they keep breaking the character and molding it moving forward. Right. So there is this jump I think the show is asking you to make because this is moving forward where who you, your your idea of who they were before this is is different than who they are now and i think we just kind of have to accept it in order for it to work well and i don't remember what episode of our pod you said this on but the mcu will a lot of times have development so to speak or stuff happen off screen that they just expect us to take and and this is one of those things i think i guess you know feel free to call me out if this is too negative what scares me about that is that i said that because what you're talking about is like oh we're just supposed to take these things at face value best example Tony and Steve's friendship at right. Civil War. I, he was my friend. So was I. That hits because we're bought in, but you never really see that. Right. 
Well, and this banter point. works because we're bought in. Yeah. But you didn't see those six months. Yeah. And that's what the point of these Disney Plus shows are supposed to be is fleshing out those relationships so that it does hit. So, like I said, really, really got to stick this landing. I'm a, a Marvel fanboy. I'm in it till the end and I will enjoy this. But just st- trying to be objective, those are things that are concerning me. Right. So, I in this section of the, the serum hunt... I think the last thing that we have to tackle is a very small and quick scene is Sam, Bucky, and Zemo are walking in Latvia, I believe. And yeah. Bucky Bucky says, hey, I'm going to take a walk. And we find out that he has picked up on the trail of somebody, which is revealed to be Ao from Wakanda. You know what? That really caught me by surprise. Yeah. Because I was expecting, I don't know who I was expecting to show up, but I was not expecting Wakanda. Or Wakandan. And I feel like like just seeing those little circular metallic balls that were being picked up by Bucky, that should have given it away. But the moment that happened, I was like, okay, who who is this? Who are they going to bring in for yeah. the situation? Yeah. And I was genuinely shocked. Yeah. And they even planted that seed with Sam earlier. Yeah. About Wakanda not being happy about him being broken out. And yeah, yeah it just, that, that was really well done. And it feels like another point of conflict because, again, we keep talking about everything as an echo of Civil War, Captain America Civil War, uh-huh. having the Wakandas interfere because they want justice from Zemo. Yeah. It's just, I like it. It feels like a direct sequel. I wonder, huh. And and I realize from the planning-wise, this, I, I think the release order is throwing us off a little bit as well. Uh-huh. Because this is supposed to be first. Like, the, like in terms of, like, re- when it was released, think of WandaVision and all that. Think about when Ryan Coogler finished the script for Black Panther 2 uh-huh. versus when they finished these scripts and the rewriting. I'm wondering if this is something that's going to was intended to also be carried out during Black Panther 2. I mean, we've seen, clearly, WandaVision sets up stuff for Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel 2. I don't think it's that far of a reach to say, hey, there's potential setups in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, and yeah. another movie on the the horizon is Black Panther 2. So, yeah, I wonder right. how that played into it. We will find out. <laughs> <laughs> in due time. Well, I think that does it for our main topics, uh, which leaves us only with our stray thoughts. So, Jude, do you have any stray thoughts for this episode? Yeah. Uh, something I didn't. We didn't really get into the opening, starting right up in the commercial. Yeah. It was interesting because you have that commercial, and then you go right to the van and off-brand cap getting out. So I'm curious of what this RCP, CRP, or whatever GRC. GRC. There you go. I'm curious of what this is going to be because of that commercial. Um, yeah. It felt very corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how it did, the branding, the logo, all of that stuff. And so, yeah, so it's uh, maybe it is some kind of government privatized, corrupted thing that we're going to see kind of played out. But, yeah, so that that was something that that really stuck out to me. But by the time you get to the end of the episode, it's like it's forgotten. What about you? What are your stray thoughts? Uh, One of my stray thoughts was at the beginning when we were talking about that plane ride. I love the argument with Sam, Bucky and Zemo about Trouble Man Uh and uh, and how (laughs) Bucky and again, more instances of them fighting Bucky and Sam not agreeing about liking it. Yeah. Uh, Another stray thought. I'm really glad we got to see the Winter Soldier theme again in the bar fight. Uh I hate that it's a moment that gives Bucky so much trauma. But man, I as many opportunities as we can for that theme song. I'm for it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, one more stray thought. That was yeah. Cap's book. To me, that's more evidence that Cap was dead. So this is bringing into a conversation, and th- maybe this could be one of our call to actions for anybody listening. Jude and I this week have been discussing, and we want to hear what you think at MC Nino no on Twitter and Instagram. At this point in the story, is Steve Rogers dead? Did he pass in that six months? I say no. My reasoning being, back in that first episode, Torres tells Sam there's a conspiracy theory that Steve Rogers is secretly on the moon watching over us. You could say maybe Sam doesn't want to let the public know that Steve has passed away because maybe they didn't even know he came back in Endgame. But I think Sam and Torres are close enough that Sam wouldn't let him disrespect him like that if Steve was truly dead. Right. I think that's part of the motivation for him to give up the shield. Uh-huh. But like I know, I know what I said about the the kneeling, right? And to yeah. me, that's the the theme in the in in, in the, the story arc they're playing out. But in terms of like giving the shield to the Smithsonian, having that mm-hmm. memory live on, you would think Cap would be there for that, or Steve Rogers would be there for that. Yeah. Um, and then some other conversations that Bucky's had and his struggle of my friends passed on. This shield, if it's in somebody's hands and being used, that also helps keep that memory alive kind kind of thing. And so, I don't know, in some of those other conversations, just the way they talk about him and that, it, it makes me wonder, like, has he passed in that time? And, and I kind of mm. want to say yes. Yeah. I will say the strongest argument you have is the Bucky connection, because I feel like if Steve is still around, Bucky would be with him. And the fact that he's And he not, has his book. I think gives credit. And he has his book. I still, I I don't know. I still think they would have made a bigger, it would have been more prominent if it was the case that he has passed away. Yeah. Well, okay. I get that this gives outside of the story kind of meta, it, it gives the MCU more options, right? And I get yeah. the whole, you don't want him showing up necessarily because it's about Falcon and Winter Soldier, budget wise, contract for, you know, Chris Evans to show up. Like, like I get all of that, but it does make me wonder are they planting enough seeds that if they need to go that way, they can? Yeah. Like we said, we want to hear from you at MC Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know where you fall. Steve Rogers, dead or alive. <laughs> on a steel horse he rides. Uh, so, <laughs> Wow. Okay. Bon Jovi. <laughs> so I think that's going to wrap our, our very probably longest stray thoughts we've ever had. <laughs> And move us into predictions for episode four. So, Jude, do you have any predictions? Uh, Wolverine is going to bust out. No. Um, hey, I'm just. And when in the last scene in the GRC with uh, Carly and her friend, that looked like a very prominent X on the gate. Just want to say that. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like there are. Again, I, I, we've talked about this off pod about intentionally. And I've talked about this with some other friends about intentionally limiting our comic book conversations on these podcasts uh-huh. and, and, and not that like to cut it out altogether, but there is this balance of, I don't want to fall into this trap of like, Oh, I'm just comparing it to the comic, comparing it to the comic mm-hmm. that we don't really analyze the text or, uh, you know, the text in front of us. Right. Yeah. I, I think we've settled on this idea of being MCU first. Right. And so, but there's elements that, I need to go back and really look at it, but I think there's some comic Easter eggs uh, of their laying this groundwork for that to happen. Uh, X-Men. Uh-huh. I think they're going to be clever enough not to just drop it like this. Um, my prediction for next episode, I think 
I'm going to go out on this limb just because I want this to happen. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot more Sharon Carter. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see a strong, uh, you know, a bigger role for her. I think we're actually going to see her, uh, as we were talking about, she's still going to be with CIA or she completely turned, mm-hmm. right? One of those two things is going to happen. And I feel like Torres will get some screen time too. Yeah, it feels like he's in need of some screen time. Yeah, he got the, the Sam Wilson sister treatment with just a phone call this time. So, <laughs> unfortunately, all of Sam's links are only through phone calls now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's that's my predictions. What about you? So, for me, my prediction is I'm going to keep it simple. Next episode, we see a pretty hard falling out between Bucky and Sam. I think given as much as we've seen them bickering, as much as they're contrasting the discipline of Zemo in their undisciplined nature, I think just narratively it makes sense to see them split before we see them rejoin stronger at the end. Well, yeah, and that'll leave the last two episodes to kind of reconcile and come back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my prediction. That's a good one. Cool. I, I think you're going to be right on that. I, man, I feel like I've been so close to being right and just, just missing it either by like an episode or, or what, but I feel really good about this one. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, that's going to do it for our episode. So if you've got any thoughts on what we've just discussed on this episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, or if you'd like to chime in with your predictions for episode four, you can always reach us at know on Twitter and Instagram, or if you'd like to write us an email at know at gmail.com. And if you be so kind, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Always the feedback helps. Follow us on whatever player you get your podcast on. The best way you can help us is to share with a friend and come join us and, you know, friends of the pod in our Discord with the link in the show notes. We'd also like to give a special thanks to Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on his SoundCloud, which is linked in the description. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Cool. See, what puts me in here, though, is the Francis barking, and, like, I don't have a quiet enough room for the outside stuff to be blocked out for the opportunity that this might become an in tag i just have to say because i think it was a week ago all throughout this week i would periodically just stop and laugh because of the one not the last time we called but one of the times we called this week where i heard you scream and i thought something was wrong and i go are you okay and you go no i'm not okay i have a dog and it's the funniest (laughs) thing in the world to me (laughs) like i'm like not exaggerating yeah, because that was the time I was making a sandwich and like he stole half of it before, right at the end. Oh my God, that has brought me so much joy this week and I just had to share that with you. Well, I'm glad I brought you joy. <laughs> Stupid dog took half my sandwich. And the podcast mascot. Not because I chose it. Or it's just because he muscled his way in by barking. And your sandwich. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Um, and the so, middle kid was trying to convince us to get a second dog. Like, why? Why would we do that to ourselves? Well, you would go from having like, half a sandwich that, to... Yeah, right? Then the whole sandwich <laughs> would be gone. <laughs> so how long until the next dog? I can feel oh, the anger. <laughs> honestly? Honestly? I'm not a pet person. I'm really not. 
Like mm-hmm. I, I get the idea of a pet and I like the idea of a pet, but the practical day in and day out of a pet is not for me. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I get why people like pets and I, in, in an idealized kind of way, you know, very, you know, platonic of me, I guess, but I, the, the actual doing of the pet, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I have hard enough time taking care of me. I can't take care of a dog. 